Well, good morning, family. We have a lot of different uh, favorite shoes. I heard Uggs from somebody I was talking about. I said, yeah, I don't think they make those for men. We don't do the jeggings or leggings look, so it wouldn't work. But anyways... Hey, uh, I want to welcome you this morning. If you're visiting, uh, my name's Ryan. I'm one of the pastors here. And uh, whether you're visiting or you're regular with us, we're so glad you've chosen to worship with us this Sunday morning. And it would be our prayer that Jesus is the hero of this gathering. Amen? Uh, we're in, if you put up that first slide, Barry, we are in a five-week series, and we're in week three of a series called Gospel Fluency. And so here's where we've been. Week one, we looked at the Gospel Fluency is speaking the truth, the truth about Jesus under the love of the Father into any and every situation. We want to grow to be able to do that more and more. Last week, we looked at their story, Gospel Listening, and saw that in order to speak the good news of Jesus to a person's heart, we first have to listen to a person's heart. This week, we're going to talk about our story, gospel identity. And, uh, you know, if you look at that clip that we watched with Forrest, he was talking and he said, you can tell a lot about someone by the shoes that they wear. Did you notice he said where they've been, where they're going? And he's using shoes as a metaphor to talk about someone's story. And if we were to think about Forrest's story, it was an amazing, epic story. Shoes that allowed him to run Forrest Run when no one thought he could. Shoes that took him to be celebrated in the armed forces, to be an all-American in high school. It was an amazing story. Well, speaking of shoes, I've, I've brought along a couple pair that are kind of favorites of mine. I'm going to start with these. And were you to uh, have walked in these shoes, these hiking boots, they, they would tell you some stories. Uh, they would tell you about a, a couple turkeys who... Um, I didn't hit. They would tell you about a couple I did. Uh, They would tell you that uh, I bought them initially to go hunting, but uh, after about seven or eight years trying to stay warm, I'm like, this is silly. Why don't I buy like warm hunting shoes? They would also tell you if you looked at the side here and you could see their shoe goo here. I just lathered this up with shoe goo because I wore these while I was trying to rotate my tires and I'm trying to slam on the tire iron, the tire wrench right with them. And I scrape that up and scrape my leg up in the process. They would tell you a little bit of my story. And I brought along another pair of shoes. Anybody know what these are? Anybody know what these are? They're sneakers. They're particularly kangaroo sneakers. Now, what these would tell you in particular is I have a little bit of an affinity towards a certain decade called, the greatest decade, called the 80s. Amen? Yeah, you could say amen. We're at a church gathering. They would tell you that. Uh, they would tell you about when my daughter was first born and I would have to used to put her in the stroller and walk her along down near Alan Bradley, the Polish clock tower or moon or whatever they call that, in order to get her to go to sleep. They would also tell you that if you can look at them, they're a little bit worn. They would tell you that I don't like throwing away things because everything could be used for a purpose. These are not my slippers inside, Right? Our shoes, they tell stories. If you were with me back in elementary school, my black leather Reebok shoes, if we got towards the end of the year uh, when they had holes in them but I still had to wear them, they'd tell you the story that I grew up raised by a single mom. We didn't have a lot. And so I had to wear them for the whole year. See, our shoes, they tell us a story. A story of where we've been, a story of where we're going, a story of what we've suffered and why we've suffered, the story of what we found great happiness in and what we haven't, the story of who or what hasn't brought meaning and fulfillment or or purpose in what has, the story of where we find our identity and what we find it in. You can tell a lot about someone 
by the shoes they wear, where they've been, where they're going. What shoes are you wearing? What shoes have you worn? And what would they tell us about your story? See, this morning we're going to step into the shoes of a famous, famous follower of Jesus Christ. His name is Paul, and he was an apostle. He was one of the kind of the leaders of this early band of people called Christ followers. And and we're going to see as we look into his story that there was this profound change in his identity with a new hero being crowned in his story. Here's the big idea for this morning. I'm going to keep saying it. But in order for our stories to truly be good news, Jesus has to be the hero of our stories. In order for our stories to be truly good news, Jesus has to be the hero of our story. So let's go back to the scriptures in 1 Timothy chapter 1. The page number will be up here. And let's look at the life of the Apostle Paul, who was formerly Saul. The page number is up on the screen. 1 Timothy chapter 1, and we're going to read verses 12 to 17. 12 to 17. Verse 12. I thank Jesus Christ Jesus our Lord who has given me strength that he considered me faithful, appointing me to his service. Even though I was once a blasphemer and persecutor and a violent man, I was shown mercy because I acted in ignorance and unbelief. The grace of our Lord was poured out on me abundantly along with the faith and love that are in Christ Jesus. Here's a trustworthy saying that deserves full acceptance. Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners, of whom I am the worst. But for that very reason I was shown mercy, so that in me, the worst of sinners, Christ Jesus might display his unlimited patience as an example for those who would believe on him and receive eternal life. Now to the King, eternal, immortal, invisible, the only God, be honor and glory forever and ever. Amen. And as I was looking at this passage and, and trying to have God speak to me about it, the first thing that popped out in my mind is, what's the, like the first or second word in that? I'm thankful. Paul is thankful and grateful. And if you would look in the story of the Scriptures, this is a continued theme, thankfulness and gratefulness. And Paul says in his story, he's thankful that God has considered him faithful and appointed him to his service. He's appointed him to help others follow him. He's so thankful for us. And some of us might think, well, duh, Paul, like if you look at the New Testament, you wrote like half of it or three quarters of it. Duh. You're like one of these heroes of the faith. You know, you paid your own way. You didn't even take a salary to go and to talk to people about Jesus. And you did these three missionary journeys where you went all over. You stayed single so that you could solely focus on Jesus. I mean, duh, Paul, you're like a hero. And yet Paul didn't see his story that way. Verse 13, go back to verse 13. And note the past tense. He says, I was a blasphemer. I was a persecutor. I was a a violent man. And here's the deal. He, He states this in a way where he doesn't just see these as actions that he did. These were his identity. These were who he was. And if you go back to verse 13, he acted this way because he did not believe. He was not a believer in Jesus Christ. And so his life showed it. And, and we talk about this all the time, but whether it's Paul, whether it's um, me, whether it's any of us, God's original intent, all the way back in Genesis 1, it, he created each of us and anyone who's ever lived or ever will live. He's created in his image, in his likeness, with the hope that we would show his story to a watching world, that he would be the hero in each and every person's story 
But Paul was no different than you and me. Right? He, he believed a lesser story and he, he believed the lie that, in a sense, he needed to be the hero of his story and life needed to focus on him. Look at Acts 7, chapter, um, chapter 7, verses 57 to 83 with me. I think we've got that up there, Barry. At this, they covered their ears and yelling at the top of their voices, they all rushed at him, dragged him out of the city and began to stone him. Meanwhile, the witnesses laid their clothes at the feet of a young man named Saul, who turns into Paul. While they were stoning him, Stephen prayed, Lord Jesus, receive my spirit. Then he fell on his knees and cried out, Lord, do not hold this sin against them. When he had said this, he fell asleep. And Saul was there, giving approval to his death. On that day, a great persecution broke out against the church at Jerusalem, and all except the apostles were scattered throughout Judea and Samaria. Godly men buried Stephen and mourned deeply for him, but Saul began to destroy the church, going from house to house. He dragged off men and women, and he put them in prison. So here's this top Jewish religious adherent breaking the commandment, thou shall not kill, because he actually thought that this was pleasing to God, and he actually thought that he was defending God. And Paul's like, I have this great power, and I'm going to use it to snuff out the, these people of the way, these followers of Jesus. This was Paul. He was so zealous for God <laughs> that he persecuted those who followed God and the person of Jesus. And, and, and as fa- family, as we think about our own stories, this is maybe where some of us would uh, relate to Paul or in the past would identify with him with being very religious, having a religious lifestyle full of religious deeds, probably lacking implicit in murder. But you get where I'm going, right? Religiosity. Paul would have worn the best synagogue clothes. He would have known the Old Testament backwards and forwards as well as many Jewish people probably would have. Paul would have outwardly kept the commandments unless he thought he needed to break them to defend God. See, this story, this story is full of people and and a whole people, the Jewish people who were so caught up in religion and trying to please him through what they did that they made this story all about themselves. That they unintentionally were the heroes of their own stories. See, a story of religiosity would be a story all about us, what we've accomplished, what we can do. Look at me. And this story might even talk a lot about church involvement. This story might talk about a lot of things we've done for God, and yet the surprising thing that's absent in this story is Jesus. He's not the hero yet. We still are. And in order for our stories to truly be good news... Jesus needs to be the hero of our stories. And maybe some of us, maybe some of us wouldn't relate to that. You know, that's not so much my past either. This kind of religious deeds and outwardly religious in every way, shape, or form or as much as we could. Maybe some of us would relate to the opposite with kind of like the rebel. Right? Maybe, maybe we didn't grow up in the church or, or we rebelled against anything and everything that had to do with God. And maybe it wasn't even against Jesus, but it was just against the structure and the traditions and all of that kind of stuff. And I mean, nurture plays a part in that, right? I remember in my own story, I remember when I was a little boy, I'd see my dad very off and on, but very, very little. And I remember seeing one of his friends snort a line of cocaine in the bedroom and not really realizing until later what that was. Now, is that what God would intend a little boy to see? No, but I still made the choices. I still chose to have me as the hero in my story. And before I started following Jesus, I've said this before, but my identity was as the partier guy, as the popular guy, as the guy who dated the most popular, prettiest girl in school, as the guy who gave his all in sports to where he could finally succeed and be a, a starter senior year in high school. 
this is why, too, I would never break up with my girlfriends. Why? Because my identity was tied to them, and if I broke up with them and lost them, I lost me. This is why I partied like I did, because I had to keep up pretenses and, and be the guy people wanted to be around. See, there was all this shame in my life, in my heart, this lack of worth that was covered up with parties and girlfriends and sports. This used to be my story where I was the hero. This used to be Paul's story too. Not the rebel, but the religious. The blasphemer, the persecutor, the violent man, the religious zealot. If you look at this next passage in Philippians 3 here, this is what Paul says. Though I myself have reasons for such confidence, if anyone thinks he has reasons to put confidence in the flesh, in what I bring to the table... I have more. Circumcised on the eighth day of the people of Israel of the tribe of Benjamin, a Hebrew of Hebrews, in regard to the law of Pharisee, as for zeal persecuting the church, as for legalistic righteousness, faultless. See, Paul had every reason to consider himself better than others because in a lot of ways, or maybe always, he was. With what he brought to the story, with him being the story, the hero of the story, and, and maybe some of you would relate to that. You know, you know nothing other than being raised maybe in the church, so to speak, in some way or fashion. Or maybe you're the exact opposite and you know nothing other than rebelling against that. Maybe from the time you can remember you've memorized verses and gone to Sunday school and served and read your Bible and gone on missions. Or maybe you're the exact opposite and you've rebelled against all that religious stuff. And maybe if you're the religious side... Because of all this, because of the shoes you've worn, you still think, you know what, you're pretty good, or at least better than most. And yet your religiosity still has you as the hero, not Jesus. Or maybe the story is the opposite, and it's one where you're proud that you call yourself the captain of the ship, that you make the decisions, that you're in control, and you're not going to let anyone tell you how to live, especially God. You're still the hero. See, Paul... Paul here, he was uber-religious, yet he was living a false story, a lesser story, a story where he was still the hero, a story where he still has found his identity in himself and what he did and what he accomplished. And that's what makes it so interesting that as we continue on in that Philippians 3 passage, we, we read this, verse 8. What is more? This is the same guy, right? What is more, I consider everything a loss compared to the surpassing greatness of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord, for whose sake I've lost all things. I consider them rubbish that I may gain Christ. What in the world changed? Well, we'll talk about it, but I think Paul experienced this next slide. If you could put that up there, Barry, please. God loves human beings. God loves the world. Not an ideal human, but human beings as they are. Not an ideal world, but the real world. And what we find repulsive in their opposition to God, what we shrink back from with pain and hostility, namely real human beings, the real world, this is for God the ground of unfathomable love. How could Paul change so drastically? He experienced the unfathomable love of God for him, a real human being, right where he was at. Look at verse 14, back in your text, verse in the Timothy text. Look at verse 14 with me. It says, The grace of our Lord was poured out on me abundantly, along with faith and love that are in Christ Jesus. And were we to go back to, verse, uh, to Acts chapter 9, we would see Paul's story. 
He was going around to try and distribute letters to synagogue leaders that anyone who followed the way, anyone who followed Jesus would be dragged off and put into prison. And he has this miraculous encounter with God. God shows up to him. Jesus shows up to him when what it says is like a flash of lightning and is like, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? He's like, who is this? He's like, is this Jesus whom you're persecuting? He, he suddenly is blind for three days. He goes into town and there's this guy named Ananias and God says, hey, go lay your hands on this guy so he can receive his sight. He's like, he kills people. I don't want to do that. And God's like, do it anyways. He goes, Paul, his blindness leaves and immediately he's like, this guy's real. This is Jesus. He had this miraculous encounter with Jesus. He met the living God in Jesus and he was changed forever. And you know what? Sometimes it happens like that with Paul in a profound way. I remember when I was in college, I didn't follow Jesus growing up. I was somewhat somewhat religious as much as my mom could make me. But otherwise it was like, nah, I don't want any of that. But I remember in college, I was a sophomore. And I was involved with a campus group called Campus Crusade for Christ. I probably told this story. But they did this thing called fall retreat, similar to what Torch and Ignite do. They go off to a camp and there's music, there's speakers, whatever. Remember, I didn't really love Jesus at this point at all. So I went because I thought there'd be cute girls there. And if they loved God, that was just a bonus, right? I'm just being honest. Remember, I'm the hero of my story at this point. And so I go to this, I go to this and the speaker says, what's one area in your life that is holding you back from, you know, further in your relationship with God. And instantly I knew it was partying because that was one of my things, my identity was a partier. And so I vowed going back to campus that day or that weekend, God had spoken to me. I was only going to party once a week in excess. Seriously, that's what I vowed. I was only going to party once a week and in excess. And I went back to campus and here's the deal. I was just different. I was just different. I had met the living God and the person of Jesus Christ and it changed me. I was able to not overdrink where previously I would try and fail. For weeks on end I tried before freshman year and failed. I was now softer towards all and they didn't have to be people in the popular crowd for me to give them time. My language changed. And here's the deal, I didn't change any of this. God changed this. I had a new story to tell with a new hero, and his name was, guess what? Jesus Christ. He had changed me. And I was like, man, if he can do this in my life, he can do this in others' lives too. And sometimes people's story resemble Paul's, or sometimes people's story resemble mine. You know what, though? A lot of times, it's much more gradual. And it's not as dramatic. And it's over a long period of time, people come to realize, you know what, I believe differently and I behave differently and, and I have a new hero in my story. So I just want to affirm, if those of you who, like my wife, she's grown up in the church, she never known a time where she didn't. She remembers like at five, you know, asking Jesus to be your savior, things like that. But there's, ne- there, there's not as much dramatic, whatever. Awesome. Jesus is still the hero of that. Okay, there doesn't need to be shock and awe. For Jesus to be the hero of your story. God is faithful. He's protected you for some of that. Give him glory. He's the hero of your story. Amen? And just as an aside too, sometimes we think if Jesus is the hero of our story, we go from kind of living this rock star life to this Mr. Rogers life. Right? That's not the way it is though. I would say personally for me, in the past two to three years, I have never in a sense had a more celebratory and a joyful following of Jesus as I have that have had then. And the reason for that is because it's been so amazing to help other people 
see Jesus as the story, whether they've followed him for a long time or whether they're just seeking him. And that's an adventure like no other. Amen? It's been amazing. And in order for our stories to truly be good news, Jesus has to be the hero of our stories. Look at verses 15 and 16 with me. Look at how Paul still views himself. He says, Christ came into the world to save sinners of whom I am the worst. And then verse 16, but for that very reason I was shown mercy, so that in me the worst of sinners. And as we're reading that, and as you think about Paul and how he's viewing himself, would you generally think that's positive or negative as you just read it at face value? Maybe negative, right? Like, Paul, you're kind of a downer. Like, don't you know that you're a son of God? Don't you know you're a son of the living king? Don't you know the Bible would say that you're a saint? So when God looks at you now, he doesn't see all your mess-ups. He sees all Jesus' obedience. And yet I don't think that's what's going on here. See, I think God is, what God is doing is he's convincing Paul that, you know what, Paul? Paul is humbly saying, I haven't arrived yet. Yes, my identity has changed. I'm a son of the king. But Romans 7, I still don't do what I want to do and I do what I don't want to do. There's still this struggle. I'm no better than anybody else here. Paul is saying what this next quote says. If my sinfulness appears to me to be in any way smaller or less detestable in comparison with the sins of others, I'm still not recognizing my sinfulness at all. How can I possibly serve another person in unfeigned humility if I seriously regard his sinfulness as worse than my own? Isn't that so true? As we talk about gospel fluency, as we talk about having a heart willing to listen to others and their stories and point them back to Jesus, as we talk about our own stories and having Jesus as the hero of our stories, we need to have this humility that it's all about him and it's not about us. And if that's the case, we don't have anything to brag about other than Jesus, right? We've got nothing to brag about other than Jesus. And in order for our stories to be truly good news, Jesus has to be the hero of our stories. Here's the crazy thing, though. God had specific purposes for Paul, and I would say that the same purposes he has for you. Go back to the text, verse 16. Verse 16. But for that very reason, I was shown mercy, so that in me, the worst of sinners, Christ Jesus might display his unlimited patience. Read the next three words for me, with me. As an example for those who would believe on him and receive eternal life. What God is telling Paul is now that I'm the hero of your story, this is just the beginning. This is just the beginning of this epic adventure where you get to walk along others and help them see the goodness, the greatness, the mercy, the compassion, the love, the justice of God in the person and work of Jesus Christ and allow them to see him become the hero of their story too. And family, that's not just for Paul. That's for you and that's for me. That's for all of us that when Jesus becomes the hero of our story, he wants to use us to walk along and help others see Jesus as their hero too. It's amazing that the creator of the heavens and the earth would call us into this adventure and that he would empower us to do it. That's not just for pastors. That's for all of us. In fact, all of you are strategically placed in relationships, whether it's co-workers, friends, neighbors, family, that I'm not, that Troy's not, that Mike's not, that Dan's not, that David's not, where you can walk alongside people, listen well, love well, and point people to a better hero with a better story, the person of Jesus Christ. And so when we go back to verse 12, 
we can kind of see now why Paul was so thankful, can't we? Why he was so grateful for God's goodness to him in Jesus. And family, as we uh, learn to tell our stories with Jesus as the hero of them, we want to ask that question. How is Jesus the hero of our stories? And not just the hero of our afterlife, okay, but the hero of all our life. So how is Jesus the hero of our marriages? Empowering us through the Spirit to love and serve our spouses in the same way that he loved and served us, ultimately by giving his life for us. How is Jesus the hero of our vocations? How does he empower us to be bosses who care about those entrusted to us, shepherding them in the same way that Jesus shepherds us or as employees to submit to our bosses and and work onto them, but ultimately onto God? How is Jesus the hero of our finances? Empowering us through the Spirit to be generous towards God and towards others because he has been so generous first to us. How is Jesus the hero of our parenting? empowering us through the Spirit to unconditionally love our kids in the same way that He unconditionally loves us as His sons and His daughters? How is Jesus the hero of our friendships? Empowering us through the Spirit to sacrifice our time and our energy towards our friends in the same way that Jesus sacrificed His time, His energy, His very life by laying it down for those He said, I no longer call you brothers but friends. How is Jesus the hero of our adolescence? allowing us to submit to our parents because Jesus submitted perfectly to his Father in every way. See, there's, there's countless ways I could tell you about people, whether it be West Bank, Kewaskam, or Jackson, who are allowing Jesus to be the hero of their everyday story. But here's what I want to do. I want to encourage you, something that we regularly do in, in groups that I'm a part of, whether it's a small group, whether it's a missional community, whether it's a triad or a huddle, is we tell each other our stories. And there's different reasons we do this. We tell each other our stories so that we can practice what we talked about last week, gospel listening, where we can listen well and then ask good questions, pointing people back to Jesus. We tell each other our stories so that we can see um, what's important to people, where they've been hurt in life, what they've found their identity in outside of Jesus, to see who the hero is. But then we can lovingly point each other back to Jesus being the hero of our story, to living a better story with a better narrative, with a better leader. And so if you would be interested, if if you're in a group of any sort and you'd like resources on how you could do that in your group and you kind of don't know that, feel free to contact me and I'll I'll get you some resources. Also, we're going to be having an equip workshop February 11th where we're going to talk more about their story, our story, and God's story and give you some tools for that. But I'm going to leave you with a couple questions if you've put up that creation slide to start. If you're thinking about the, the movement of our lives, kind of mirrors the movement of Scripture. Um, so if you think about creation, these are questions to ask when thinking about our stories. And what do we find our identity or sense of purpose and significance? Or as we follow Jesus, were Jesus not our hero, what would we be tempted to find our identity in? Next, for fall, whom or what is the fundamental problem we blame for the things that are broken in our lives? Or if we follow Jesus, were Jesus not our hero, who or what would we blame for what's broken in our lives? Next, please. And I can get you these two if you want them. Redemption, whom or what are we looking to as our Savior to rescue or deliver us? And were Jesus not our hero, who or what would we be tempted to look to to save or rescue or deliver us? And then restoration. What does restoration look like and what is our ultimate hope for the future? Were Jesus not our hero, how would our lives look different here and now? 
were Jesus not our hero, what would our ultimate hope for the future rest in? That's what we're going to talk more about at Equip. That's what I would encourage you as you think about your stories in a group type setting and, and sharing them to kind of frame it around those four movements in Scripture because those same movements are the movements in our own story. Family, what would it look like if more and more, quantitatively and qualitatively, we saw Jesus as the hero of our story? What I bet that would look like is what God is currently doing. That those would come to interact with us through our gatherings, through our friendships, through our relationships at work, through our relationships in our neighborhood. And they'd be like, they wouldn't say these words, but they'd be like, that's good news. Because it wouldn't be us. They'd be seeing Jesus. Let's pray. After I pray, um, this is going to be the the best part, better than anything I had to say. Uh, We're going to get to watch a video from one of our dear brothers uh, who was a part of Kettlebrook before he passed. And this brother, I didn't know him that well. Troy knew him better. But what I do know is that Jesus was clearly the hero of his story. So let me pray. Father, we pray increasingly that you, through your Son, would be the hero of our stories. I pray for those who are just here and they're kind of just thinking about this Jesus guy. They're kind of investigating, they're seeking I pray that they would know that no matter where they find themselves at, uh, the the religious, the the rebel, uh, God's grace and his love is bigger than their sin. No matter where they find themselves at, uh, Jesus can be the hero of their story too. And he can give them a greater story to find their identity in and then to live out. I pray for those of us who do follow you too. Father, increasingly may our hearts, our affections, our desires grow for Jesus. May he become greater May we become less because in order for our stories to be truly good news, Jesus needs to be the hero of our stories. And God's family said, Amen.